So last week, we set the stage for the book of Esther, and we talked about the apparent absence of God, and yet the ways that we are going to see him throughout the book. And we mentioned that there, that, uh, or another thing we mentioned was that a big theme of the book is feasting. So this week, we're going to jump right in, and we're going to learn more about King Ahasuerus, and we are going to see the first three feasts. Um, I gave somebody Esther 1, 1 through 4. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the province were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 183. So I know that we read those first three verses last week, uh, but in, in, uh, it, it really does help us set the stage for the first feast. And in the Hebrew language, those first four verses are all one sentence. You know, we thought Paul made long run-on sentences when we did Romans last year, but the author of Esther can do the same thing. So, um, but let's make some observations, and some of these will be ones that we did, uh, we did before, but we're going to do them again just because. Um, and so when was this, when did this take place? In verse 3 it tells us, the third year of King Ahasuerus' reign, and last week we looked at the timeline and we saw that that, that made it four, 483 BC. And do you recall from last week what was happening at, at this time in the Persian Empire? Right, what, was, what was he trying to get ready for? A war with Greece. Right? He, wanted, he wanted to attack Greece, and he was, he was trying to prepare for that. And so then it tells us that he, um, he had this feast. Um, and we're going to get into the feast, but why do you think that Eastern rulers of this time would regularly host these lavish banquets? What are some reasons that they, they might have, have done that? To, to gain support, yep. What else? To show off, to show off their wealth. Yeah, they um, they wanted to impress their guests with their power and their wealth. Uh, they wanted to show off that they could bring whomever they wanted and however they wanted, um, and then they, it, was, it, it was, they could meet with important people in order to, um, whether it was a battle, upcoming battle, or a marriage between two nations, or whatever, they could, they could sort of work things out. So if we look at this first feast that is talked about in these first four verses, don't forget to go to page 48 in your handouts, and we're going to fill in some of this information. 
Did everybody have get handouts? Okay. So for our passage there, it would be verses verses one through four. Uh, we'll look at the we'll look at the purpose in just a minute. But how how long did the feast last? 180 days. So six months of feasting. Pause for just a minute. Think about think about the palace servants having to do this for 180 days. Like, just imagine. I'm exhausted just thinking about the work involved, right? Now, it is, it is highly likely that not all of the leaders were there for the whole time. They still did have an empire to run. Um, they also enjoyed a good party. So if the king says, come, you show up whenever and wherever he says. But likely he would confer with individuals or groups for part of that 180 days, you know, maybe a week, two weeks at a time, send them back home and bring somebody else. And so it wasn't everybody all at once necessarily, but then, then would most likely, uh, based on other feasts of the time would have brought them all together at the end for everybody. What does a six month long feast, well, who threw the banquet? Because that was one of the, one of your questions on your, on your page 48. Who, who gave the banquet? Ahasuerosh, he gave the banquet. And who attended the banquet? Right, the, all his officials and servants, the army, the nobles and governors of the provinces. And so what does a six month long feast tell us about the character of King Ahasuerosh? He, he loved himself, yeah. Yeah, he, he was a proud man, um, but it was, it was a self-serving feast, right? He was doing it for selfish reasons. Um, the one word that I read was pompous, and I was like, yep, that just about, just about describes it perfectly. He was, ah Ahasuerosh was, was a pagan ruler. He didn't know who God was. Um, he would have heard of God because of the Jews being there, but he didn't know who he was. He didn't know about his greatness, his power. He didn't know that God was greater than the king of the largest empire in the world. And so he wanted, he thought, Ahasuerosh thought that he was all powerful and almighty. And he wanted to display that to everybody else. Uh, Historical documents tell us that King Ahasuerosh was occasionally principled, but mostly he was arbitrary, tyrannical. Some even characterize him as, as brutal, and we will see all of these things as we continue in this study. Um, he, but he was consumed with displaying his power. And so last week we talked about 
some of the things we learned about the Persian Empire in these verses. And so what, uh, what are some things that we, that we learned? So where, where was the Persian Empire? India to Ethiopia, right? Quite a large area. And then where was the capital where he was? In Susa. And how many provinces? Right, and we talked about how that 127 provinces was more like uh, counties or, or cities while the, there were only 20 satrapies, but 127 sounds bigger. Well, the number is bigger, but it makes the whole thing sound bigger. Um, and so he, the whole, the author is trying to point out all these things about Ahasuerus. And so we, when we think about the purpose of this feast, and again, this will go on page 48, the, uh, what, are, what are some of the possibilities for the purpose? I mean, we talked about that it could be because of this battle, but what are some other th things that it could have been? I mean, it's just showing off. Just showing off. Um, if, does anybody have the, the Christian Standard Bible? Verse 4 in the Christian Standard Bible says that the purpose, basically that the purpose of the feast was to display the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness. And that's the, that's the official wording here of, uh, of that particular translation for why they had this, why Ahasuerus had this feast. Um, some people might have seen it, oh, yes. Right, right. That's exactly right. He's he's bringing bringing comfort to the people because if he's got all this stuff and all this power and all of this that he can afford to do a hundred and eighty day feast and not have to do anything else for those hundred and eighty days, it really would kind of bring comfort to the people, right? He, they they. The, the military leaders, the officials could have seen it as a reward and for a, a job well done. You did, you did well and let's, you know, but yeah, yeah, unifying. But he did want to show off his greatness and he wanted in, in a lot of ways to convince his leadership to invade Greece. And so I know we talked about some of these last week, but just a refresher, Darius I was Ahasuerus' father, and he had invaded Greece and was defeated shamefully at Marathon, and then he died while he was still planning his revenge. And so Ahasuerus felt compelled to, to really finish what his father had started, which was continuing to expand the empire. Uh, Herodotus, the Greek historian, he, he actually says, that Ahasuerus' overarching goal was to take over all of Europe and make the whole earth, known earth at the time, 
be a single Persian empire. Um, one translation of, of his thing says, my, my intent is to throw a bridge over the Hellenspont and march an army through Europe against Greece, that thereby I may obtain vengeance from the Athenians for the wrongs committed by them against the Persians and against my father. Like that's what Ahasuerosh actually, or what he's recorded as having said. Now translated into English, of course, but. But history goes on to tell us that this display of grandeur and power did not guarantee a Persian military victory. In 480 BC, the Persian Navy was destroyed in, in Salamis with, with the king watching from his throne. And in 479 BC, the army was defeated at Platora. And these two defeats ended King Ahasuerus's run toward his ultimate goal of world dominion. Um, Proverbs 16, 18. Did I give that to somebody? I have 18 written down. I don't know. I think so. Yes, that's the one I wanted. <laughs> yeah, so, so we had this, this verse, even though Ahasuerus was not a God follower, it still rang true for him that pride, the, that's the pride comes before a fall, before the fall thing. Um, so sometimes we want to look at King Ahasuerus and we want to recoil. He is so over the top on pride. How could anyone feel like this was a good thing, right? I mean, he is showing his, uh, what was it the Christian Standard Bible said, the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness was what was on display. And so sometimes we can look at that and be like, oh, well, I would never do that. So I'm, I, you know, I'm not that prideful. Um, but I want us to pause for a moment and, and just think about ourselves. And I want us to think about what it is that we post or not post on social media. What are the things that you tell your friends about your life? What about when you make a mistake and embarrass yourself? You may not be hosting a six-month-long feast to show off your palace and your wealth, but there are things that you are doing to show the best of you while hiding the worst. We can all relate to King Ahasuerus because we all, on some level, crave honor and recognition. And the way to combat that is to regularly consider the Lord's greatness instead of our own. Then we get into the second feast, verses five through seven. So Esther one, five through seven. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan and Citadel, from great to small, in the courtyard garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple, 
of silver rods and marble pillars, and the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. So when does this feast take place? After the 180-day feast. So he goes from 180 days straight into another feast. And how long was this feast? Seven days. So definitely not another six-month-long one, but it was another week long. And who was invited to this feast? Everyone. And so if you're on page 48 again, you can write down those, the passages, verses 5 through 7. The, the who gave it was, again, um, King Ahasuerosh. And then the who attended was, was basically all the people in, that were present in Susa. But the interesting thing about this feast is that the author is no longer telling us about Ahasuerus' power. We start to see about all the stuff, all the material possessions that he has. This is the only place in the Old Testament where this much detail exists for just the background of a scene. But it gives us all this information for, for the answer to our next observation questions. What were the decorations at this feast? White Just cotton curtains? Yeah. That is entirely true. Yeah, what but what else does it talk about? Purple hangings. Couches of gold and silver. Those marble pillars, uh, Jewish tradition says they were from the um, from Solomon's temple that when when they came in the first time and destroyed the temple, that those were the same marble pillars. What else? This is an interesting couches of gold and silver. Yeah, those, those, how, how comfortable were those couches to sit on, right? It even tells us what the floor was that they were walking on. And then what were they drinking out of? Golden vessels that were each different. None of them were the same as any of the others. The, and, and apparently, if I knew ancient Hebrew, which I don't, but apparently when you go back and look at this in the original Hebrew, it is so much more impressive than our English translations that, that it almost gives you a sensory overload for how, how elaborate and decorated and, and things like that that this was. 
It was lavish and opulent. And so why do we think the author shifted from being about the king and about what he had control of to being about what he had? Yeah. He, had a, he had gold and silver couches. He definitely had something to be proud of. He was, it, he, it, yeah, it was, it was about, like we said, instilling that confidence in the people. And if they see all these things, they're, gonna, they're going to relate that to being confident in the king and therefore confident in the Persian Empire. Um, Ahasuerus was also responsible for the completion of of the palace complex he he is the one that actually finished building the palace in Susa and so his his palace would have been important to him it, these elaborate decorations would have been important for him um, but it's all about worldly abundance and Ahasuerus erroneously believed the lie of identity that he is what he has because how many of these lavish, lavish possessions does he still have? None, right? He's dead and gone. What did he say the lie of identity is? That he he believed the lie of identity that he is what he has. So um, 1 John 2.16. And then 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Yeah, so what do these scriptures tell us about material possessions? They're of the world, that the, the love of them is the root of evil. Now, I know that there are plenty of times, because I, it's happened in my life, that God blesses through material things. And so we have to be really careful to remember that money and belongings are not evil. It is the love of the, the putting your security in those things that are that if you find your identity in how much house you have or how much clothing you have or on the label on your clothing, you need to rethink your attitude about your identity. And so this week, I'm going to challenge you to just take some time to look at your attitude towards your possessions. It's always funny to come back from the, the school auction and um, hear somebody who um, it's their first time to go. And they're like, I can't believe, uh, what was the one this time? 10, 10 dozen ears of corn, I think it was, something like that. I wasn't, I wasn't there for that one. 
that 10 dozen ears of corn sold for that much money, you know, whatever it was. And, and so it's always funny to hear what it is that catches somebody's attention on their first, their first time, because at a benefit auction, you're definitely not going to find a deal, right? But when you get caught up in the stuff, and I'm not saying that this person was caught in the stuff, they were just, it, it is something that's just surprising. But when you're caught up in the value of your stuff, you're, you're losing a part of yourself when you do that. And so Ahasuerus, the, he is showing off his stuff, and the author is helping him to do that. The author is showing us that this king had everything his heart desired except for Greece. He wanted Greece, and that was in the back of his mind in all that he did. Um, and sometimes it came to the front of his mind and was the main reason he did anything, which is what most theologians believe was his goal behind these, these first two feasts. And then we get to verses 8 and 9. And drinking was according to the edict. There is no compulsion. So the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. Excellent. <laughs> So these, these two verses, you know, we've just gone through all this elaborate stuff about the power that, that Ahasuerus has to the stuff that Ahasuerus has. And now we see these two little verses that um, seem to be kind of, I mean, they make sense, but then in a way they don't. Because here it was, drinking was, there was no compulsion. Traditionally, in particular in this time, if the king drinks, everybody drinks at the same time. Um, everyone else who's in the room. And yet here the king, we've just displayed all of this power and grandeur. The king is letting go of this small bit of power over the, over the people. He is handing it to them that they can choose when and what they want to drink. Uh, this was not a sign of, of generosity or kindness. It's showing a weakness of the king. Why was this a weakness? Or why do you think this was a weakness? Why would somebody tell you you can make the choice whether you do something or not? You don't want to be responsible. Don't want to be responsible. Don't want to be misliked, unliked. Unliked. He was still trying to win favor with the people. He, he thought that by allowing them a level of freedom, it was going to make them happy. All of this power and opulence, and yet he was still too insecure to truly lay down the law. 
because he had to basically the because it uses that word edict and we're going to talk more about that word later but um, it's also translated as decree or or order it's used 19 times in this book but he basically had to use a royal decree kind of like an executive order that the president would do in order to give them the freedom to choose whether or not to drink now an aside here that we will talk about a little more next week this passage and the book of Esther, this whole chapter, and the book of Esther is not about alcohol. It's not telling you you shouldn't drink. It's not telling you you have the uh, option to or to not drink. That is not the purpose in this, um, in this passage. That is not the purpose of why it was shared in this passage. Um, King Ahasuerus was most definitely drinking. If he wasn't, then no one would have. He wouldn't have had to have said anything. Um, and as we'll see next week, his judgment is clearly impaired by his drinking. But we have to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And our main thing here is, is about the fact that it was it, it was Ahasuerosh giving up some ground, not about what he was giving up ground for. Um, so this is not a, a message from God that we have no compulsion about drinking or that we shouldn't be drinking. Um, this was a pagan king giving a, a decree to his people. Anyway, then we get to verse 9, and we see the third feast of the book. We are nine verses in, and we're already on feast number three. So go to page, go to page 48. Who is it that gives this feast? Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti. We are finally introduced to Queen Vashti. The name Vashti in, in Persian is associated with the words for beloved and best. And so keep that in the back of your mind as we read next week's passage. Um, but in, it's harder to see in English translations with this verse 9. Oh, wait, let's go back. So we have the who gave it, who attended the feast. Yeah, all the women it doesn't really give us a direct purpose in this verse. What we do know is when we look at the Hebrew, um, which again, I am relying on other people's uh, information about the Hebrew because I do not know Hebrew. But the, the Hebrew, the way that this is written indica indicates that the queen had the liberty to make her own decision about this banquet. And she was acting on her own authority to host this particular feast. Normally, and we will again talk about, uh, about this a little more next week as we talk more about Queen Vashti, 
Persian custom did not require men and women to eat or feast separately. Uh, most Persian feasts included the wives. And so this is Queen Vashti going off on her own, not in conjunction with the king, in order to host her own feast. And so this, this verse, well, verses 8 and 9, so this passage really is what's foreshadowing our passage for next time. So this week, as you read the rest of chapter 1 and the first, I think it's four verses of chapter 2. Yeah, those first four verses of chapter 2. Keep those, these two verses, 8 and 9, in, in your mind. Remember that Vashti means beloved or best. Remember the king be giving up a small part of his power. Remember that Vashti is doing this on her own as you read the next section of our, of our scripture for next week. Um, now we're going to split into our small groups and to look at what we should walk away with from these verses this week.